You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where Jim and Patrick watch and discuss a drive-in double feature, consisting of horror films, spy films, exploitation movies, erotic thrillers, sex comedies, and the like. Our ultimate goal is to determine if these two movies, randomly selected from a list of over 1,600, would make for a good drive-in double feature. We will be going through the plots of these movies in detail, so if you're concerned about spoilers, feel free to check them out before listening to us, and we'll be sure to point out if and when these films are available on various streaming services. Be sure to follow us on Twitter for any updates, that's at driveinpodcast, no underscores, hyphens, or spaces, and let's get started. I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined by... Jim. Okay, Jim, we've got From Russia With Love from 1963, and we've got Dr. Alien from director David Dakota. Dr. Alien is available on Tubi, and I cannot stress enough how all of you should give that movie an opportunity, and I'm sure we'll have a lot to say on it. I have a question about Dr. Alien, because this just came to mind. Can you also buy it on DVD somewhere? That's actually a really good question. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea if that's... I'd imagine it doesn't have a Blu-ray, re- Blu-ray release as for DVD. Who knows? Because, I mean, you could see even on Tubi that, like, the transfer or the quality <laughs> of the transfer just is not good. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring so up. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think there's actually one point it kind of, it actually drops out of color and goes into black and white briefly. Um, yeah, for like one second. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Jim, why don't you uh, take her away with From Russia With Love? From Russia with Love, as you mentioned, uh, the second installment of the major James Bond franchise. I don't believe I did mention that in this take, but go on. Oh, okay. <clears throat> well, <laughs> moving on then. Uh, it's also directed by Terrence Young, who directed uh, Dr. No, and who will direct Thunderball, but not Goldfinger, which comes next. But I want to point out that this movie came out in 1963. It came out a year after Dr. No. It was apparently greenlit immediately after the success of Dr. No, and was given twice. I thought the you were going to say it was greenlit immediately after the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> That's actually you know, <laughs> a solid two weeks in production. <laughs> they just rush it out there to get it out there by Christmas. But uh, yeah, so it, it was given twice the budget of Doctor No. I guess it managed to go over budget, which it, it was earmarked for two million. But it went over budget, and it also ran over schedule, and it was rushed to be released for October of '63. But it grossed okay. $78 million worldwide on a budget of $2 million-ish dollars. So, yes, it was a huge hit. The first three or four Bond movies were all among the highest-grossing movies of the years in which they came out. Yeah. And as for the higher budget, I think it shows. This, this is just a more vibrant production. We got more locations, you know, things like that. A yeah. Bigger yeah. cast of characters, I want to say. So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, with that budget, as you rightly pointed out, there's more of a, um, a globetrotting adventure feature because whereas Dr. No was filmed almost entirely in Jamaica except for the Pinewood Studios stuff in London, this one was filmed in Turkey, Pinewood Studios in London, Scotland, which was supposed to be uh, like Croatia, Eastern Europe, and the... Yeah, that, the helicopter scene yeah, looked yeah. very Scottish to me. Well, then yeah. near the end when they're in the water in the in the boat, uh, that's also the, uh, the coast of Scotland. I'm almost positive because I've never been to the Adriatic, but I don't think it looks quite like <laughs> like that. The second production unit actually went to Venice to film. So you do have like a lot of rear window projection stuff behind Bond and other co-stars. But there was actually another team filming in Venice and also around different sites of of Istanbul for kind of pickup shots and stuff like that, I guess. To get on with the movie, it opens with the classic James Bond gun barrel shot and theme that we all know and love so much. It's still not Connery technically in the gun barrel, right? Yeah, it's a stuntman or whoever, right? 
I don't know, because we don't see Connery wearing a hat too often, and he's wearing a hat here, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and he's wearing a hat in this movie later on. A little bit. He's wearing his little Greek fisherman's cap, <laughs> which, yeah. which I know you'll get a kick out <laughs> oh, of. Oh, god damn it, yeah. So anyways, after this opening, we see James Bond running through, sort of sneaking through uh, a garden of what appears to be kind of like a, a country estate, a, an English country house or something, and he's attempting to kill another agent or something. But this other agent kills him. Uh, he garrets him, right? Is, is that how you say it? Or garrot garrets? Garrots, garrets. Whatever. He chokes him know. with a wire and he kills him. And you go, oh no, James Bond. But then, boom, all these lights come on and it was just a practice run. And this agent stands up and this guy walks over to the dead body of James Bond. This is this is the Monsters, Inc. opening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So this other agent walks over and rips this mask off of Sean Connery. But it isn't Sean Connery. It's just some guy with, with a Sean Connery mask on. From here, we go straight into the opening credits, which I want to point out, this is the first time in James Bond movie history that we get the opening credits where women are dancing, and the opening credits are being projected onto their bodies. Yeah, I want to say there was still dancing in the Dr. No one, yeah. but it wasn't like this kind of... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I know This mean. is very sensual, and I just, just classic James Bond when you think of classic James Bond. But still, there is no opening theme. The uh, From Russia With Love theme by matt monroe does not play here it actually plays at the end we also hear it on the radio exactly uh, with uh the scene with sylvia trench but yeah yeah but before we get to that radio and uh, from russia with love theme thing with sylvia trench we're actually shown venice where chess uh, chess match is being played that is cut to directly after the theme and we know it's I, i guess like a big chess match because they're in this kind of like lavishly decorated room and there's two people sitting in the middle of a room at a table playing chess and there's an audience but the man who's winning gets a glass of water delivered to him, I guess. And underneath the glass of water on a, on a coaster, it says, You are required at once. And the symbol of Spectre is printed below those words. So he quickly wins the game and then goes to a yacht waiting offshore where we meet Blofeld. But we don't know it's actually Blofeld. But this is the first meeting. It's number one. Exactly. It's Jonathan yeah. Frakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fans of the series will know that this is Blofeld, but for this movie, we only know him as number one. We we see his white cat, we hear his voice, but we never see his face. This is just, I mean, it's still cheesy, it's still dated. It, to a certain extent, because the Austin Powers movies were so big and successful, it's hard to take this kind of thing seriously yeah, yeah. with the cat and everything. But at the same time, I feel like, because we had a scene kind of like this in Dr. No, where the villain was just a disembodied voice talking to mm-hmm. that professor guy. And I, I feel like this is just, just much better done. I, I don't know how exactly. It's just more compelling. Yeah, and I think it's probably better done or more compelling because you actually have that character interacting with, with people for like a long period of time, not not just for like a quick 10, 15 second shot or something. And yeah, and you're genuinely interested in like seeing how Spectre plays out. I mean, we have these people, there's like number one, number three, num- and number five, there might be another. Mm-hmm. There is at least one more character, so there's probably, they have a I don't know, number seven or something, but like, well, you, know, you want to understand how this all works, how it all goes together and everything. Yeah, yeah. The part about this scene that I found hard to take seriously was the Russian woman. Shit, what's her name? Rose. Uh, Lati Lenya playing Rosa Klebb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the the character of uh, Doctor Evil's love interest in Austin Powers is clearly based off of Rosa Klebb. I, I I feel. I think there's another character in the Bond series that has a resemblance, but yes. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, you, you're probably right. But as soon as I saw this woman, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> But anyways, this scene on the yacht is where we get an actual plot of the movie where we didn't really get one in Dr. No. I guess we get a villain's plan. And that plan is that this Czech chess master guy has come up with a plan to lure Bond into the arms of Spectre. 
a Soviet cryptograph machine called Elector will be stolen from the Russians with the help of Rosa Kleb, who is this Russian officer in Smirsh, which is the Soviet counterintelligence agency. But Kleb, Technically, she's no longer with them. She's right. resigned yeah. or, or uh, she, defected. And she's been recruited but, by Spectre. Yeah, but the Soviets have kept that under wraps, so really very few people know that she's left uh-uh, the Soviets. Uh-huh, uh-huh. This woman, Kleb, is going to recruit uh, an attractive young... I think she's like a clerk or something. Isn't that what she is? She's woman. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Yeah. She does something. She's going to recruit this young, attractive Soviet woman who has some kind of position in some sort of Soviet intelligence. This young, attractive woman is going to lure Bond to Istanbul with her body and the lector. So the chess master fella figures that Bond and MI6 will know it's a trap, but the chance of getting a Soviet cryptograph is so worth it that Bond is going to come anyways. Yeah, I like that they already know that Bond's, for lack of a better term, his Achilles heel is attractive women. (laughs) They just just know that. It's like they saw the first movie. (laughs) I know, I know. It's like they sat down and watched it. Like, man, you know how we could get this guy? (laughs) A woman. Who's dubbed, specifically. Yeah, yeah. But, I actually don't know if Daniela Bianchi or Bianchi or whatever is dubbed. I, I assume she is because, honestly, everyone felt super dubbed in this movie. This movie has some kind of weird audio. I don't know if it was just the quality of the DVD that I watched, which RIP to Family Video, but I did manage to purchase this at, yeah. a, at a Family Video closing sale just the other day. So, no, I, You know, but, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I do feel like a lot Cause of Even Connery sounded a little weird. I agree. Um, maybe that $2 million budget didn't really go to audio mixing or something. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't remember that being an issue with Dr. No. No, yeah, I, I agree. The final part of this plan is that they're going to find a buff Spectre goon who is going to kill Bond, thus avenging the death of Dr. No in Jamaica the year before. So here we actually get a plan or a plot in this movie, whereas Dr. No was just kind of a mystery up until the end and, re- and then remained a mystery after it ended. Yeah. But directly after this scene, we see Kleb travel to Spectre Island, which is a training ground for Spectre agents. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and what are they training for? Well, it's to kill agents of other organizations, I guess. Uh, is that all they do? I think so. I, I think that's it. <laughs> these guys are great. Yeah. But, and honestly, I mean, we haven't seen one of these scenes yet, but there are scenes, I want to say, especially more in the Roger Moore movies, where if he's walking around with Q and you see, like, British agents, like, testing mm-hmm. out all these, like, weapons and stuff like that, that's exactly what this scene looks like. <laughs> it's just the bad guys. Well, you know what it is? And I actually laughed kind of at this scene because there's a scene where Kleb is, like, walking past all these people firing weapons and stuff, but there's, like, two dudes using crossbows. I'm like, what the, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Everybody else has, like, machine guns, pistols. There's a guy with a flamethrower, but these two people are just, like, shooting at mannequins with crossbows. I'm like, ah, cool. I guess they're doing something. But anyways, she meets Donald Red Grant, played by Robert Shaw, a.k.a. Quint. A.k.a. Doyle Lonigan. Yeah, yeah. I almost said from The Thing, from The Sting, yeah. Yeah, I forgot I like Robert Shaw at his best. He's in some really great movies, mainly just the three. I know he's in Black Sunday. I haven't seen him. I love him in these movies. I don't know what else he did. I feel like he's not in that caliber of like classic actor who's like he's in a bunch of classics, but he's in three pretty darn good movies. But anyways, so she meets Quint, who I'm going to call him Quint from now on because I like that name so much more than Donald Red Grant. Oh, I like the name Red Grant. I like like, Red Grant. First of all, is he supposed to be Irish? She said... he's doing like kind of a weird accent. Well, she said, or when she was reading his dossier or something, Kleb said that he was a prisoner in Britain who escaped from Dartmoor Prison. So he's at least supposed to be English-ish. 
you know? Uh, so I, but he never talks. English adjacent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> could be Welsh, could be Scottish. <laughs> from somewhere around that area. Could be from Brittany. Yeah. <laughs> Red Grant is my favorite part of this movie. Actually, watching this movie now, I had just spoken to a friend of mine who's a big fan of this series not long before watching this, and he said that he watched this movie recently, and he's like, one of the best parts of this movie is that Red Grant is way, way better than James Bond. And that was the perspective that I was watching this movie in. And it's 100% accurate. He's awesome. He's so good. He's so just smooth and cold. Bond doesn't even know he's around for 98% of the movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, with this, it's almost like Bond literally trips his way through the entire storyline. Literally, the plot, the villain's plan has him pretend to fall into a trap. I mean, it's, it's a little weird. It's a weird plot. I mean, it has a plot. Dr. No, we mentioned, didn't have much of one. But, like, Bond and MI6 are aware this is a trap, but he still goes along with it. Yeah. Thinking that, cares if it's a trap, as long as I can get this. But, like, it's it's just kind of strange. So it's like asking Bond to do, to be both aware and unaware. And it's just kind of weird. But, like, Red Grant is awesome. Oh, yeah. He's definitely the best part, or at least my favorite part, of From Russia With Love. But, yeah, so he gets recruited by Kleb and Spectre. And Kleb also recruits Tatiana uh, Romanova as part of this trap. The first shot of James Bond that we actually get is right after this scene where it cuts to him and Sylvia Trench in a boat yeah, by river. Yeah, him deep in the trenches. <laughs> uh, but they're listening to... <laughs> Shut up. They're listening to uh, From Russia With Love on the radio. He gets kind of like a, a page, I guess. And he goes to his car to call MI6 on his car phone, which I didn't even know... I don't know if that's supposed to be a secret agent thing or if car phones I think that's existed. a gadget. Okay. I think that's a gadget. <laughs> I was like, did they actually exist in 63? Yeah, so he calls MI6 and they're like, you know, you got to come here right away. And we get this terrible gag or this terrible joke, I should say, uh, that I wanted to bring up because it's reminiscent of Dr. No. Yeah, it's he, the exact same joke. It, yeah, basically. it's the exact same joke. He says, I'll be there in an hour. And Sylvia Trench is complaining, oh, why can't you be here longer? We haven't eaten yet. And by eaten yet, she means I haven't had sex with you yet. So he says, okay. Oh, thank you for an hour and a half. Yeah, you're welcome. So in M's office, M tells Bond that Tatiana is defecting, that this woman that Kleb has got, this woman is defecting, and she'd turn over the Lector, this cryptograph machine, on one condition that Bond goes to Istanbul to get her and the machine. M is well aware that this is a trap, and he makes Bond aware of that too, as you mentioned. After Bond agrees to go on this mission, this strange topsy-turvy mission sort of thing, Q comes in. This is the first time we see Q. Yeah, by it's played by Desmond, I don't know how to say that, Llewellyn? Llewellyn? Llewellyn, I think. We had a quartermaster in Dr. No, but it wasn't him, and it was he wasn't called Q, but yeah. Yeah, so Q comes in with his briefcase, which is lined with ammo, and there's like a, a surprise throwing knife in it if you tap on the briefcase or hit a button the right way or something. And inside the briefcase is a folding sniper rifle with a telescopic sight that's also like an infrared sight. There's like 50 gold sovereigns. There's also a tin of talcum powder, which is actually tear gas, and it's like connected to the briefcase, so you have to open it in a special way. And if you don't open it in the right way, when you open the case, the tear gas will go off and stun you, essentially. After Bond leaves M's office in Q, uh, we got a dumb money penny scene where he writes from Russia with love on the photo of Tatiana. And, uh, you know, as I was going to skip over that scene, Patrick, because I think last time we talked about how useless money penny is in the movies or how I actually this is some of the best money penny in the series. From what I recall, like she's kind of funny here. She doesn't have much to do. Like, later, she's sitting mm-hmm. in on this, like, meeting with, with all these, like, British higher-ups, and it's like, 
I mean, she is just like a secretary, right? Yeah, I feel like yeah. she wouldn't be allowed to do that. But. Well, there's a great joke later on that I will get to for sure in that scene. So anyways, Bond sets off. We see him land in Istanbul, and a man approaches Bond saying, I've been sent for you. I'm your driver, which is very reminiscent of Dr. No. At first you think, oh no, this is just like what happened in the last movie, and it wasn't even Yeah, but they have like a driver. code speak. Exactly. So they do this secret agent code speak stuff. The driver checks out, so Bond goes with him. So Bond is taken to this Turkish branch of MI6 where uh, he's introduced to, I, I don't know if it's just Ali Karim or like Ali Karim Bey. Because people call him they, Karim They definitely Bey. call him Bey. Bey is yeah. part of it. I don't know. So they're introduced to this guy, Ali Karim Bey, who's the head of this Turkish branch of MI6. But when we first meet him, he's just finishing up with a woman. But Ali tells him that uh, Istanbul's pretty relaxed, so just re- like just hang out, chill. We all understand that this is a trap. Enjoy your few days in Istanbul and go home with, with your machine or something and, and your lady. If it shakes up that way. <laughs> yeah. Bond then just kind of briskly leaves and goes to his hotel room. Where he checks for bugs and yada yada yada. Does all that secret agent stuff. But I skipped over this part earlier. But as Bond is leaving the airport, he's tailed by these Bulgarians who are working for the Russians. And they follow him to the Turkish MI6 headquarters. And MI6 knows this, but they don't really care. But the point of this is that on his way out, that same car follows Bond. But Red Grant is in the Bulgarian car this time, and he has a Bulgarian fella tied up in the back, and he dies. I mean, because I don't know how, I don't know if he kills him or if he, the guy just like succumbs to an injury or something. Red I Grant. I mean, if it's an injury it's, and it's caused by Red Grant, he yeah. still kills him. Yeah, right? yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so while Bond's at his hotel, Red Grant drops his car off in front of the Russian embassy, I guess, or, or the Russian consulate with this dead Bulgarian inside, making it look like that the Brits killed a Russian agent, thus heating up the Cold War between the Brits and the Russians in Istanbul. But back at MI6 headquarters in Istanbul, a bomb goes off, and Ali and this sex lady, who's, that's the only thing she does in this movie, she, she's a sex lady. <laughs> Ali and his, and his sex lady are fine, but he's confused as to why the Russians have broken I mean, we've got the word mistress. <laughs> no, 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 sex lady, I like that one better. I, cause is, is she mistress? I don't know. Sex lady. So Ali's concerned as to why th- this this truce is broken because nobody realizes yet that Spectre is involved in all of this. Bond and Ali paddle through this ancient cistern to this spot under the Russian consulate where Ali had this periscope installed and they spy on the on the Russians for a bit. And full disclosure here, Patrick, I don't really know the point of this scene. Like Ali recognizes somebody who hasn't been in Istanbul for a long time and then they leave. Bond does see oh, that's Tatiana's right, yeah. legs. And he's like, yeah, she looks very good from the... Oh, yeah. he says, he's got some... Oh, I love where she's so far. It's like, what the well, hell? Ali goes, Ali goes how, does, uh, how, does she, how does she look, James? And he's like, well, from this angle, she's shaping up nicely. And you're like, oh, shut yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> such a... <laughs> I, I would like to say, I um, it, we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, but this movie for me, because... For those of you who didn't listen to our Dr. No episode, it was like our third episode, so maybe some people haven't. I was not the biggest fan of Dr. No. I I just didn't like it that much. It, I mean, it's a good movie, but like it's pretty dry, and a lot of it doesn't work. A lot of it's aged poorly. This movie's an improvement in almost every way, mm-hmm. virtually every way, with the only exception being maybe being like the audio thing that we mentioned, which it just sounds a little weird when people are talking. Yeah. But then also, I think the one-liners are worse. Oh, well, they're definitely like... There's there's more of them, and some of them are bad. Some of them are just dumb. <laughs> yeah, but there are better jokes. I mean, again, there's a joke about uh, involving M later that I think is... Yes, yes, I agree on that parts. one, for sure. 
Yeah. So anyways, they, they spy on some people. Bond sees Tatiana and they see, and Ali sees, sees this guy he hasn't seen in like two decades. But Ali decides that Istanbul is no longer safe. So he takes Bond to a place of safety, which is this awesome, and I mean awesome, <laughs> gypsy camp outside of Istanbul. Which, where is this? This, <laughs> this feels like it comes out of nowhere in the I know, movie. I know. It's just like, it's just like, here, let's go to a gypsy, you know, I, I want to call it a gypsy wedding. It's not, but it's almost a wedding. It's like there's <laughs> yeah. some kind of argument happening because <laughs> two women are this pining a, over the same man. Dude, and so that has to get of, settled before one of them gets married, I guess. But dude, yeah, this, this is, is a like strange straight scene. out of my big fat gypsy wedding and stuff like that. You know, like all those like, <laughs> yeah. crappy trash shows. But yeah, yeah, so so they show up at this at this encampment, and we're kind of treated to this gypsy song and, and and belly dance, and we learn that these two gypsy ladies are fighting, and there's gonna have to be a fight settled later in the quote unquote gypsy way because these two women are in love with the same man, <laughs> which just it devolves into a cat fight. I, I I wasn't originally gonna talk about this, but Bond has to decide the winner later on, and he has to sleep with them both to decide the winner. Well, I mean, he doesn't have to. That's just you're how right, he, he just does. <laughs> you're you're making it seem like this is being forced upon Bond. He's like, oh, no. you've twisted Bond's, my arm, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Bond is trying to solve this problem in the sleaziest, <laughs> in the sleaziest, most sexist way possible. You're well, you're giving I, him too much credit. Like, well, if I have to solve this, then I will. <laughs> Come here, ladies. But uh, anyways, all hell breaks loose eventually at this camp because the Bulgarians storm this gypsy camp and they start shooting up the place. Accompanied by classic James Bond action scene score. Yeah. This shows <laughs> yeah. up a couple times during the series. I don't even know if it made it to the Roger Moore series. It might not have even made it to La- Lazenby. It might have only been in a couple of movies. But other than the Kirk fighting Spock with the Q-tip things in Arena, this is my favorite 60s schlock action scene fight music probably ever yeah well and it really it's really great for this scene because there's just so much crazy stuff going on in like the background oh also i forgot to mention red grant shows up and is kind of staking out the gypsy camp before the bulgarians show up yeah because basically the entire movie grant is following bond and bond has no idea so you can almost just moving forward you don't even have to point that out he's like always there yeah yeah And then we learn in this scene that it is Grant's job to protect Bond until he steals the left door. This is one of the best moments of the movie. Yeah, so so Bond is in the thick of it. He's fighting with all these Bulgarians, and he's shooting people left and right and flipping people over his shoulder and stuff like that. And <laughs> yeah, this is a fun scene. And, well. and knocking tents down on people. And as he's standing there, this guy comes up behind him and is going to shoot him. But Grant, from like these old ruins, takes this beautiful like marksman shot with a silenced pistol and blows this guy away behind Bond. And Bond like looks around like, oh, who did that? Who did that? Oh, I don't know. I guess I'll get back to fighting. But yeah, so this is when you learn that Grant is protecting Bond the whole time so that Spectre can get their hands on Bond. Right. Yeah, there's also, I, I don't know if you laughed at this. I definitely did. But there's a shot in this action scene where like this big fat gypsy guy is being attacked by a Bulgarian and Bond just like looks over and shoots him. And the big fat gypsy guy goes, thank you, which is like, like oh, a yeah, dub because yeah. I don't think the guy speaks English at all. <laughs> Well, not only like that, but away. the other gypsies don't speak English in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like they they speak whatever language they speak, and it's translated by yeah. uh, Ali Karambe. It's great. But after after a few minutes of fighting and some fires breaking out and Grant saving Bond's life, unbeknownst to Bond, the gypsies eventually drive off the Bulgarians. And it turns out that the whole time they were after Ali, for whatever I don't remember why they're after yeah, Ali, they, but that's they were not after really him. well established. I yeah. guess. 
Bond eventually leaves next evening with Ali after he has sex with two women to decide who's going to marry a, a man. But he leaves next evening with Ali to help Ali assassinate this guy that he spied through the periscope under the Russian consulate. I really like this scene, but it, it leads nowhere other than to the death of some guy that, who we don't know and we don't yeah. care about. Returning to his hotel room, Bond finally meets Tatiana Romanova when she sneaks into his bed naked as he's about to hop in the shower. And yeah, here, we get a pretty, uh, gratuitous for 1963 shot. anyways, a pretty explicit shot of her naked. Like, she's yeah. she's yeah. kind of shrouded because there's, like, that thin, translucent sheet in front of the bed. But, like, mm-hmm. yeah, for 1963, that shot is insane. I mean, it's not like I was looking for it, but you can definitely make out parts of her. I was surprised, to be honest. I thought, oh, my God, I don't, I don't remember this being in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. I'm like, what? This scene has perhaps the worst, cringiest line in all of Bond movie history. And I mean, there's a few. And there's one in Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, I don't, uh, yeah. But this one, Bond goes, you know, I think you're one of the most beautiful girls I've ever met. She goes, I think my mouth is too big. And there's like a close-up on her mouth of her licking her lips and her teeth. And he goes, it's the perfect size for me. You're not doing it justice. The worst, he says, it's like, no, it's just the right size. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a pause as he goes in for the kiss. And then he's like, for me. Like, they didn't, it's okay if it ends on just the right. When he adds the for me, it just, that pushes it over the top. Making it a terrible line. (laughs) It's so great though. Oh, Sean Connery, I'm sorry that you've passed, sir. I love you so much. As they uh, start getting busy in the bedroom, we are shown that these Russians are spying on him through this two-way mirror and they're recording him having sex. But none of that matters because next morning, Bond and Tatiana are at the Hagia Sophia. Tatiana leaves the floor plans for the Russian consulate so that Bond can get in and steal the lector. There's a whole thing here where a Bulgarian tries to pick up the plans. Yeah, there's also another dead guy here. Yeah, yeah, and then Red Grant comes over and beats the shit out of him and leaves the plans in his hands, and Bond picks it up and goes, oh, there's a dead guy holding the plans I was going to grab. That's strange. (laughs) (laughs) So So weird coincidence. (laughs) Well, this is weird. But knowing that the whole thing is a trap, Bond and Ali plant a bomb in the Russian embassy before Bond sneaks in, and I guess it's under the, the building. And in the confusion of dust and debris falling from the ceiling and around them, Bond steals the machine and Tatiana, and they escape via the cistern that we saw. Then they hop on the Orient Express. They're like, we got to get out of Istanbul and back to Allied Lines, I guess, or just away from Istanbul. She recognizes a couple of Russians who yes, yes. notice her, and they also get on the train when they yeah. notice her. But unbeknownst to them, we see Red Grant on the train already. He's already on the train. Yeah. Super cool guy. Just a quick aside, I don't know if he aged that well. You know, Robert Shaw? Yeah, this is 12 years before Jaws, and it looks like it, it would be like 30 years before. <laughs> Unless they like made him to look really old in Jaws, which they might have. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he looks great in this. He's in great 1960s shape. You know what he I is. mean? Like he when is. they show yeah. him shirtless, it's like that wouldn't be considered great shape today. But for 1960s, that's like peak physical condition, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, nowadays. That's, that's totally it. But Bond and Ali, because I guess Ali comes on the train too, and they decide at one point, once everybody's on the train, Bond and Ali decide to go to the restaurant car, but on their way, they subdue a Russian spy. Bond leaves Ali in the room with the Russian, and as he leaves, going towards the restaurant car, we, the audience, see Red Grant head towards the Russian's room with Ali in it. And unfortunately, Patrick, here, there is not one, but two murders on the Orient Express, and then eventually three, but we will get to that. Three murders on the Orient Express. Ali and the Russian are dead. In the I would room. argue the next one's not murder itself. Oh, yeah, defense, you're right. Yeah, okay, okay. 
<laughs> justifiable homicide. It's different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Moreau finds a way to screw that one up, too. It's always pinning murders on people, man. Yeah, God Some damn deaths Belgians, are just accidents. You know? Sean Connery, of course, was in Murder on the Orange Express. Oh, that's people right. He was, that. wasn't he? I remember he has a line like looking at Poirot and he's and he's like, "Who's the frog or something?" <laughs> <laughs> he has a <laughs> Sean Connery. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He's got this like super racist line. Oh, Sean Connery's great. What a shame. What a great guy. But anyways, Bond is alerted to the death of Ali and this Russian by uh, a porter or whoever. So Bond then goes into his own room where um, Tatiana is. And he starts interrogating her. And he starts smacking her around a bit, you know. Which I don't think... <laughs> Sean Connery career highlights right I was going to say, uh, she, I don't think Barbara Walters would have would have. Agreed yeah, not the first time, not the last. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Sean Connery. Poor women, too. Anyways, he starts smacking around. He's like, you got to tell me about this. She goes, I don't know anything. I don't know. Stop hitting me. So he goes, okay, fine. So at a stop, Bond gets off and he meets with one of Ali's sons and he says, you know, I'm sorry, but your father's died. Here's some of his personal effects, but also can you do me a favor? Can you radio M in London to send some help? So he goes, uh, yeah, I will. Also, I'll, I'll radio him. So when the train pulls into Zagreb, Zagreb, whatever, the man James Bond is supposed to meet runs into Red Grant first, who like swiftly kills who, who, him in a bathroom, I guess. One of my favorite scenes is the whole cigarette at line. whatever stop at the train station. At whatever train stop before this one, Bond is outside. He does the whole lighter cigarette thing, which is the spy code speak with this guy. Mm -hmm. And Grant's watching him and he's learning. He's listening and figuring out what Bond is doing so that he can do it at the next stop. Yeah. Did you notice in that scene when Sean Connery was out um, doing that whole cigarette thing that you could see Red, like, because Red Grant wasn't in the shot when that was going on, but you could see his reflection in the window? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd never noticed that before, and I was like, oh my god, that's so great. That's exactly what he did to this next guy, and he lures him to a bathroom, and he kills him, and uh, takes his briefcase and stuff, and meets with Bond. He poses as this man that Bond is supposed to meet, and he gets on the train with Bond. So right away, Bond is kind of a little suspicious of Red Grant. Is he? I'm not certain he is. Well, he is because... I think he gets suspicious later. Well, as soon as he leaves the room, Bond opens his briefcase and looks through his things. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay. Bond brings this up later, but at dinner, they're sitting and eating dinner and... The waiter oh, comes yeah, and he, and he, he orders and white wine fit. with, or excuse me, he, he, he orders, orders red, red wine, wine with, with fish. fish. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. stupid Cambridge snobbery. <laughs> James Bond's an asshole. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's why he's so great. I bet Sean Connery would say the same thing too. He's talking to his family members. <laughs> Sean Connery never had a meal without beer. Let's be honest. <laughs> Or scotch or something. He strikes me as a as a beer guy. Oh, for sure. Also a guy that would go to Legoland. <laughs> you take that back. <laughs> no. <laughs> go for a nice lamb lunch in Windsor after going to Legoland. <laughs> so at dinner, after Red Grant makes his faux pas of ordering red wine with fish, he then goes to pour a drink for Tatiana, and he drops a pill into the wine glass as he's pouring a drink. Pretty soon after they finish, Tatiana's walking back to her cabin, and she says, you know, I'm starting to feel funny, I'm feeling dizzy, and she passes it when she gets into the cabin. At this point, I think James Bond is definitely suspicious 
of, well, yeah, of Red Rack, where he definitely knows. Yeah, he definitely knows he isn't who he says he is. And they go into the other room, and after some talking about this escape plan, Red Grant knocks Bond out with the butt of his pistol. And he takes Bond's gun, and uh, there's a great line here where then Bond wakes up, and, and they're just kind of having a bit of a chat, and James Bond says something like, I knew you weren't from MI6, you didn't, or he said, because you, you had red wine with fish, and Red Grant says, you may know the right wines, but you're the one on your knees. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, got him. Take that. That's Spectre versus MI6, where Red Grant is far superior, just not as classy. He is so much better. It's yeah, not even, so much like, better. <laughs> Bond basically lucks himself into victory. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But this is the point when Bond figures out that Red Grant is actually working for Spectre and not Smirsh, and that Spectre has been pitting the Russians and the Brits against each other in Istanbul from the start. Also, the Bulgarians and the Gypsies, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. That yeah, might maybe be unrelated. The Bulgars and the Gypsies. That's probably unrelated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, just as it looks like Bond is going to be shot by Red Grant, Bond kind of tells him, hey, I've got, I've got 50 gold sovereigns in this suitcase. So he opens it for Red Grant. He pulls out the money and he goes, oh, great. Are there some in the other suitcase? And Bond goes, yeah, I, I assume. And this suitcase came from the person that Grant had killed. And when Red Grant goes to open it, he doesn't open it the right way. And because it's an MI6 case, this canister of tear gas goes off inside, which kind of disorients him. And Bond and Grant start fighting, throwing punches. You know, there's this at one point, I'm sure in there has got to be the patented Sean Connery shoulder flip. But at one point, like, and it's actually, it's kind of a sad fight because they're just kind of <laughs> the knocking each other Sean around. The patented Sean Connery stuntman shoulder <laughs> flip, let's be honest. Exactly, yeah. And no, I love this scene. I'm willing to bet this this scene is 80, 90% stuntmen, especially because they knock the lights out. That's like one of the first yeah. thing to happen in this fight. Yeah. And I have a feeling that's there just so you, they can hide the stuntmen better. But it oh, looks yeah. pretty awesome. It's a really fun scene. Yeah, there's even a, a, a bit in the scene where James Bond goes to dive on Grant, but he misses and just lands on, like, the, on the cabin sofa. It looks kind of goofy, but it's all done pretty well for this really tight, confined space on, on what is supposed to be a train. But anyways, Bond and Grant wrestle across both of the cabins while Tatiana is still knocked out, and Grant gets a wire around his throat, just like he did to the fake James Bond at the very beginning. But Bond somehow manages to get this secret throwing knife out of his briefcase and stabs Grant in the arm, and then he turns around and he kills Grant with the wire instead, and leaves his body in the cabin. So taking Tatiana, who is still sort of semi-knocked out, and the lector, Bond hops off the train and steals a flower truck that was driven by... I'm not sure if it was driven by a This Russian... was Grant's escape guy. Yeah, yeah. Whoever was... he was, this was Grant's escape driver. Yes. So it was a Spectre agent who was driving this flower truck. Which, and also... Because Grant Grant made the frequent mistake of telling Bond far too much of his plan, which ends up helping Bond escape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At this scene, Bond disables, disarms, knocks out whatever, the flower truck driver, and he throws Tatiana in the back to kind of sleep off her her pill, and he's driving. But here, we, the audience, are treated to probably the most famous scene of this movie, especially for, and an amazing scene for 1963, I, I think. We get this helicopter chase scene sort of thing, where a helicopter's flying above this flower truck and dropping grenades, and then Bond gets out, and he tells Tatiana, he's like, stay here, you'll be safe, they're only after me. So he takes off running across the Croatian countryside, which is actually Scotland. And uh, this helicopter is making really low, exciting passes over Bond and just kind of buzzing him. This movie is hoping you've never seen North by Northwest. <laughs> because this this is yeah. basically the crop yeah. duster scene. Yeah, you're totally right. 
But eventually, after a lot of flying around and a bit of grenade dropping and Bond diving onto his stomach multiple times on this mountaintop, he pulls out this sniper rifle as he's hiding under a rock from his briefcase. And I really like this scene. The guy who's dropping grenades, not the pilot, but the guy dropping grenades has just pulled a pin out of a grenade and he's holding it in his mouth. And he's holding the grenade and then Bond shoots him in the chest and kills him and he drops the grenade in the cockpit. And the pilot reaches over, he's trying to fish out of that, boom, the helicopter explodes. And it looks really neat. And I, I assume it must be like a model. That kind of oh yeah, you around. see the string. You see the string as the helicopter falls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you do. <laughs> yeah. So the model. Otherwise, I wouldn't have like... actually known it was a model because it looks great. Otherwise, yeah, exactly, exactly. It looks great, but the thing that really kind of takes me out of it for that scene is that you see it explode and it starts to flip in the air, and then when it cuts to it burning on the ground, it's just sitting upright, like somebody had parked the helicopter right oh, there. Oh yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's just on fire. I'm like, oh okay, that's neat, I guess. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of this scene because I feel like it does get repetitive and it's getting a little old, a little boring after a while, but yeah. it ends in a spectacular way. So I support that. <laughs> and you know, I feel like what there are like three, four or five passes of the helicopter trying to like run over him. I feel like we needed yeah. like one or two of those. You yeah. Know also, I mean? why was it trying to run over? Like, just shoot him. You've got a gun up there, right? Well, they didn't have guns. They just had grenades yeah, for like, some we, reason. We just got grenades and a helicopter. What are we going to do? Well, here, try to run <laughs> them over like while I pull They have, like, 40 grenades, too. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so Bond shoots the helicopter out of the sky. <laughs> and uh, he hops back in the flower truck with Tatiana safe in the back. And they drive to a boat, which is on the Scottish coast, but it's supposed to be the coast of the Adriatic. And they begin to sail to Venice after they chuck the truck driver into the ocean. But then Spectre agents show up and they begin to chase them down in speedboats. And there's all kinds and this of machine is, gun fire. They're specifically led by that guy that is like the head of Russian intelligence in The Spy Who Loved Me. I don't know that actor's name, but he shows up oh, later yeah. in the series as a different character. Yeah. Again, he wasn't number one. He wasn't number three. He wasn't number five. Because I think number five was chess guy. Number three was woman. Yeah. This was the other guy that, in an earlier scene, killed chess guy because because their plan failed and he he uh kills him because he's got a blade hidden in his shoe and it's got a very fast acting poison it kills the guy in like 10 seconds and number one even says like oh we need to get even faster acting poison and i'm thinking <laughs> why that that dude's out like a light <laughs> yeah, yeah I know. killed him immediately so Bond and Tatiana are being pursued by like five or six speedboats and they're shooting up Bond's speedboat and they, but then Bond has all these extra uh, he's wearing his Greek fisherman's cap ugh don't even talk to me about that I shouldn't say this is my favorite scene this is one of my favorite scenes though I like this scene a lot I like it a lot too because it's kind of classic action but it also just kind of shows up out of nowhere you think that the movie is really kind of winding down and it's going to come to an end but then you get this crazy boat chase scene which then ends with a giant explosion because bond rolls off <laughs> all these all these punctured oil uh, yeah fuel ga- gasoline yeah exactly fuel barrels and he gets like a um uh, uh flare shit, gun called? thank you a flare gun and he shoots the barrels and you get this huge explosion going off which kills it's and an or impressive thing yeah and or stops all of the pursuing specter agents yeah it's this that's a really really awesome explosion it's a great it effect is, yeah. bond and tatiana get away they sail to venice and they're relaxing they're safe bond is on the phone with mi6 or he's trying to get through to mi6 like relaxing hanging out when a maid enters the room and you know she's like oh housekeeping or whatever you know and it turns out it's rosa club and uh, she's coming in to steal the lector because in that earlier scene that you mentioned where the chess guy was Because killed, the movie ran out of ideas. Ex- <laughs> exactly, yeah. She just shows up, because why not? 
Exactly. So what had happened was earlier, Blofeld, a.k.a. number one, is upset because Bond was supposed to be dead or Bond was supposed to be in their hands and they were going to return the Lecter back to the Russians, which has not happened. Presumably he sends Rosa Klebb. Yeah, that's right. He, he was going to wager a hefty, basically a ransom from the Russians for the thing. He was going to get a lot of money. He's like, so if we don't end up with the Lecter, we at least get a bunch yeah. of money out of this. And Yeah. Kleb sneaks in as a maid and tries to steal a lector, and Bond's like, oh, just, just put the case down, I'll take it. But then Kleb pulls a gun on Bond. She starts talking to Tatiana, she's like, open the door, open the door. And she opens the door, and just as it looks like Tatiana's back on the side of the bad guys, she disarms Kleb. <laughs> but she's got her shoe blade. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Then she does her heel click, this her, is... her Dorothy click, and she gets her shoe blade out, and she's fighting with Bond, but he picks up <laughs> this a chair. This kind of pathetic. Yeah, he picks up a chair. This is about seeing wall. Bond wrestle with, like, a 70-year-old woman. <laughs> like, <laughs> poison blade or not, it's just awkward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say it, there's really high stakes, but it really isn't because, again, she's pinned to the wall by a chair and Tatiana shoots her with the gun that she dropped. She's also like half Connery's height, so you're relying yeah. <laughs> on her having really long legs to be able to get him and she doesn't have them. Yeah. Uh, so Tatiana shoots Kleb and with all the pursuing baddies dead, Bond and Tatiana then get to cruise along the canals in Venice. And much like the last Bond movie, Dr. No, it ends with them sinking into the boat out of frame doing the baby making dance and that's it the end please don't the say end. that again the baby making dance yeah the dance of the of the baby makers no okay <laughs> but yeah that's it that's the end so uh patrick my friend what did you think of uh from russia with love well this movie's great i mean i've joked about it a lot but the truth is i truly do enjoy this like i mentioned earlier it improves on almost every aspect of Dr. No. It's still very slowly paced for the first hour and a half or so. But at the same time, that stuff's a lot more interesting because we've always got Red Grant in the background and he just like makes everything so much more fascinating. Yeah. And then the, also the last half hour or so, once pretty much once we're on the train or at least once Red Grant and Bond are talking to each other, from then on, it's like really exciting and it's fast paced. It's it's more in tune with action that we're used to today, a lot more so than anything in Dr. No. We get like a, a few things that you could kind of th say they feel like climax sequences in mm -hmm. the action scenes. As opposed to in Dr. No, we just get Bond messing around with a little wheel thing when he's wearing his hazmat suit. <laughs> like, this movie is just a lot more exciting. Well, you know, I, I agree with you on, on every point you said, and I think it's important to point out that with Dr. No, it was kind of a, a mystery movie. It had that plot that was revolving around a mystery that was then semi-wrapped up at the end. You started this by saying that it didn't really have a plot. Well, you're right. You're right. But but remember the last episode we or the when we recorded Doctor No and whatever the hell else we did. What did we do? Shocker. Shocker. That's it. Remember we were talking about how it wasn't really a spy movie. How it was kind of like a mystery movie. But this is the first James Bond spy movie. It's all about espionage. He is that globetrotter. He is going to different countries and he's dealing with the Russians firsthand and Bulgarians and and gypsies, you know, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, yeah, and gypsies, lots of gypsies. But, I mean, th this really is a movie about the art of spying, and it's made even more interesting when you think... I mean, the Cold War was a real thing, let's not forget here. And it was really big in Istanbul, in all of Turkey, really, because that, that was where East met West. So you had all these different spying agencies from all over the globe kind of meeting, which is really neat to think of. But yeah, I like this movie a lot because it's the first James Bond spy movie and action movie where Dr. No had a bit of action, but it was mostly running 
Doctor No felt like a like you're watching a filmed play in a lot of yeah. ways because it's a lot yeah. of just like talking, very dialogue heavy. This has a way of, I mean, there's still a lot of, it's still talky, it's still, there's a lot of exposition, there's a lot of kind of slow scenes, but they found a way to just deliver that information in a more interesting way, even if it's just Red Grant hanging around in the background. Like, I love that scene at the train station. I mean, when Bond is out on the platform just kind of walking and you see Grant behind him on the train, and when Bond, like, stops to kind of look around, er, er, uh, Grant is behind a wall in the train where he can't see him. Like, I love the stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But yeah, this is a, a really fun movie. I think this is a top three or four James Bond movie, probably. I think you'll probably agree. Yeah, it's definitely in my top five for James Bond movies. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to measure a good Bond movie, of course. I mean, some some are here for the schlock. And some, you know, you've got your Moonraker fans. You've got your Man with the Golden Gun fans. Yeah. And I like those to a certain extent. But if I'm talking about, like, what are the best of the best, to me it comes down to, like, three or four, and this is among them, for sure. But yeah, I really like this one. Definitely, like I said, top five James Bond movies. We skipped over a lot of the exposition stuff. Uh, We skipped over a lot of the relationship between Bond and Tatiana. And I think that's fair, because I don't really... I think the point of this is that she is a spy pretending to be in love with him, But she eventually does fall in love with him, right? Yeah, allegedly. And to me, that transition, I don't know where it happens. Because it feels like it's kind of real once they get on the train and he gives her this, like, new nightgown kind of thing. She feels like she's kind of into him, but I'm also wondering why. Does it happen when they're on that boat? Yeah, which... And he's, like, having... He's recording her, which is this joke you mentioned yeah so i forgot to bring that up you're right like yeah because that scene is weird because it's right after they meet and right after he gets the pickup at the Hagia sophia or no maybe it's right before that but they meet on the boat and he's recording her and he's asking her questions about the uh, lector to quickly mention that joke at some point bond mails this recording to mi6 and they get to listen to it. They're all sitting in a room, like M and a bunch of other high-ranking MI6 officials, I guess, and Money Penny. And Money Penny for some reason. <laughs> yeah, they're all sitting in this room listening to this recording. Tatiana keeps interrupting when Bond is trying to ask her questions or when she's supposed to be answering. She keeps saying, "Oh, I love you, but I love you so much. Can we please go away again together? Please, can we go back to the hotel room or whatever the hell she's saying?" At one point, she says, "Am I as good as the Western girls or something like that?" <laughs> and he says. Well, there was this one time when M and I were in Japan, or when M and I were in Tokyo, and then <laughs> M pauses the recording and like sends money penny. He's like, room. "Okay, that's enough." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is that is the funniest part of the movie for sure. Yeah, I definitely laughed out loud there. But uh, yeah, I'm not really sure when that like when she actually fell in love because you're right when they do get onto the train. The, tr- the transition just isn't very clear. No. Though we mentioned the plot, it's it's a relatively easy to follow plot. It's also an insane plot. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is Spectre's trying to get a lector, and in order to do that, they take an employee of theirs who has access to a lector and has her help a British agent <laughs> yeah. get it so that they can get it from him. It's insane. Yeah, but, but remember, like, but honestly, the point Red of the plot, Grant, too, is to also kill like, James Bond to avenge well, the death that's of, true. of what's-his-face. That's Dr. true. That's it, true. Which is kind of weird because Spectre doesn't seem like a... I think the R does stand for revenge inspector, but I was going to say that they're like, they don't seem like they don't care. They don't seem like a group that would like care about Dr. No and like want to seek out vengeance for him because really he's just some half robot, half Chinese guy that yeah, who, who he got when he because his robot water. hands yeah. couldn't grab onto metal. Yeah. I mean, you'd think Blofeld would be like, thank God we got rid of that loser. Now let's move yeah. on. Because <laughs> <laughs> Blofeld's employed some losers in his time. I mean, he really has. Yeah. <laughs> 
And Dr. No is one of the bigger ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, poor Dr. No. Oh, and another way in which this movie is an improvement, we have a non-white actor playing our main Turkish character here. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, it's a Mexican actor, so we're still not that close, but but it's an improvement. Well, it's a person of color, at least. We had Quarrel in uh, in Dr. No. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm thinking more like the Asian Miss Terrell oh, yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 right. Quarrel, yeah, definitely. Quarrel was Quarrel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the Asians that were played by white people in something vaguely resembling Yellowface. All right, James, thank you for taking us through From Russia With Love. And now, to follow it up, I give you <laughs> Dr. Alien. This is why I love cinema. This this, this movie just <laughs> is it's the power of cinema on the big screen okay. or the small screen because we're watching it on our computers on Tubi.tv. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hold on, before you get into it... Yeah, um, I want initial thoughts on Dr. Alien. I'm, I'm afraid I hyped it too much. <laughs> no, well, because I want to point out, last time we recorded, so we recorded the last episode about a week ago, <laughs> and as soon as we finished, and you had said it was From Rush With Love and Dr. Alien, I watched Dr. Alien right after we recorded that <laughs> podcast, and I sent you a message, I remember. I said... I don't remember what you said, but I remember yeah, you messaged me. I think I said me. something yeah. like, after the first two minutes, I was like, man, this is awesome. After the first five minutes, I was like... What the fuck am I watching? <laughs> yeah. Movie takes a few takes a few turns. Perhaps the greatest most profound beauty of Dr. Alien is it has no idea what it is. <laughs> this this movie is it's a sex comedy not too dissimilar from like Screwballs that we've already covered. It's got the cartoon sound effects even. Yeah. But it's also like a family-friendly comedy. Yeah. And it's like th- those two things do not mix at all. But that's that's why I love this movie. That's why uh, I don't really love David Dakota. I think this is the best movie I've seen by him. Although Creepazoids wasn't bad. Also, at the end of this, I know, I'm not going to give away any spoilers just yet. But at the end of this, there's almost the lesson of anybody can be brave. You just have to try and have sex first. Oh, you know? yeah. Like, well, this, like this is a this. classic, this is a classic archetypal story that we can get into, but like, yeah, it's, it's a little weird, but anyways, so Dr. Alien from 1989 from Canadian director, film icon, dare I say, David <laughs> Dakota. You take that back. And I want to give, I feel like there needs to be backstory on David Dakota because there are two David Dakotas, I am convinced. There is late 80s slash early 90s David Dakota in which his movies were incredibly low budget. They were bad. He worked a lot with Charles Band. So the mark of quality, of course, low budget. (laughs) But they were at least competent like movies. Like they looked like movies for the most part. You could kind of watch them like, I mean, you wouldn't like expect to see them in, in the cinema. But like if you rent it from like Blockbuster, you'd be you wouldn't be like, what the hell is this? Yeah. You'd be like, okay, that was bad. Bad movie. I've seen plenty of those. At some point, David Dakota became, and I think this is probably just the onset of digital video where just there wasn't money for these kinds of movies anymore. But at, at one point, David Dakota just started shooting movies in his own home. And, 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 and they're involving talking animals many times, which is just an animal. And he's a voice acted by like Eric Roberts, who's speaking into an unfiltered microphone or something like that david dakota just at some point gave up and while all this is going on of course david dakota is this is worth pointing out david dakota is a homosexual filmmaker and he has made many films that i wouldn't by any means call them like 
pornos or anything, but it's a lot of shirtless men. I mean, they all have the same exact cover to them, like cover slash movie poster. They all look exactly the same. Like, you you know when you're seeing a a David Dakota movie from that. But also, weirdly, early in David Dakota's career, his movies are like... There's as much, like, female nudity as you could imagine, so I don't know if he's... I don't know what the story is there, but I feel like he made movies at this point to satisfy a straight male teen audience, for sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, anyways, uh, this is, I'm assuming, your first David Dakota feature? Uh, yes. I, yeah, I'm gonna assume so. Initial (laughs) thoughts? Initial thoughts? I was, uh, I was, I was confused at first, but I quickly got on board. And I actually really enjoyed this. I thought it was really funny. Well, and by really funny, I mean like I, I you know, it got a few. There are a few genuine laughs. Yeah, like uh, a few. Yeah, I think I genuinely laughed at about three scenes. But there's one shot I really liked, which the fight scene is fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. Possibly better than the one on the Orient Express. <laughs> yeah, but there's one scene I really, really like. Uh, just because I think it was shot really comically, uh, which maybe I'll touch on when you get to that point because it's near the end. But yeah, I was I was surprised. I went into this knowing absolutely nothing about it, and I really enjoyed it because I had literally no expectations for what I thought was going to be a piece of shit. Because when you look at the poster, you're like, what is this? What could this possibly be? What is Patrick yes. making me watch this week? <laughs> Why am I subjecting myself to this? Why am I wasting my life energy and my time on this hunk of trash? Don't you say that about Dr. Alien. But it was great. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it Dr. Great. Alien is, I mean, well, I suppose I'll just jump into the plot here. The movie starts with a professor, and I'm putting professor in quotes because the college yeah. in this movie is shot like it's high school. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say about it, yeah. But anyways, the professor, Dr. Ackerman, played by Troy Donahue, is just like... Well, and hold on, Patrick, and you know he's a professor because he has a pipe hanging out of his mouth. Well, yes, and you know he's Troy Donahue (laughs) because this is one of the best jokes in the movie. He's just like writing something, like writing notes in his notebook. He's like some science professor. The the credits are going, and it says Troy Donahue in, and right when it says Troy Donahue in, he looks up at the camera, (laughs) which I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. That is, that is genuinely funny, but the reason he looks up is because there's this big light outside. So he goes and he gets in his car, and as he's driving, he's being chased by the light, I guess, and then he crashes and flips his car. So we don't know what the hell that's about. Great car flip, though. Amazing. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun car stunt. And then kind of out of nowhere, we get narration from, like, a teenage boy. Yeah. Again, <laughs> I, I'm tempted to say, like, a high school boy, but no, he's a college freshman. He goes to... I mean, it's like a community college or something like it's I mean, that's kind of what it looks like. And plus, everyone who goes there, like, is from the area, apparently. So that's kind of why I say community college. I don't know what it's supposed (laughs) to be. But his name is Wesley. And he's kind of your typical down on your luck protagonist. He's uh, he's got a crush on a girl named Leanne. Yeah, named Leanne. He's got plans to work for his father at his accounting firm, but he has to graduate from college first, and he's really struggling in his biology class, or chemistry, or whatever, his science class, whatever is taught by Dr. Ackerman, which is eventually taught by Dr. Alien. Well, we should also point out his last name, which is Little John, so... I think... Uh, oh, because uh, he's got a small dick. I got it. Yeah. Well, I think that also comes uh, up at the end of the movie. Oh, it my, comes up. With my... <laughs> Shut up. 
Yeah, so Wesley, he's got his best friend, uh, who I'm just going to call Ted Raimi because he looks just like Ted Raimi. But his best friend is is, is just like, <laughs> he's just a pervert. Like, he even has a line <laughs> in the narration saying, like, yeah, he's kind of a perv sometimes. Like, no, he's big time. Like, this is a dude that, like, <laughs> leaves class early to go spy on women in the locker room at gym class because, of course, college, gym class. Yeah. Maybe they're like yeah. ROTC or something, and that's and that's why they've got. I don't know. I don't know what college this is. Again, it's treated like it's a high school almost. But going to school one day, Wesley trips over like some bully guy and <laughs> who's just like lying on the ground, like having a picnic with his girlfriend. And as he's like about to apologize, this dude's like ready to punch his face in. Ted Raimi goes and grabs a cane from a blind person and goes and. <laughs> Like, it covers for him and says, like, oh, you know, you really shouldn't leave without your cane. So we act like this guy's blind. And it's like, okay, that's kind of funny. Scene goes on for too long. <laughs> but but anyways, he gets him out of there. And then they go, they go to science class and then find out that the bully's in there. And so he's like, oh, shit. And he has to hide his face with his book. Because almost <laughs> every character we have at this college is in this class, which is, again, why I say this is kind of like high school. And you're right when you said it's kind of got that screwballs feel where it's sex comedy. You don't know it's a sex comedy at this point, though. You really don't. Yeah. Even yeah, the, well, title, the, really... the title, the title screwballs, you know, sex comedy. The title, Dr. Alien, you're like, what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like sci-fi family-friendly movie, maybe? I, you don't know what it is from the title. Yeah, and also, too, I want to point out just quickly, when Wesley's leaving for school, he's like a fucking loser. He's, like, kissing his mom goodbye. He's like, goodbye, oh, yeah. mommy. Well, that's, like that's that, essential you know? for, the, like for the character development as we proceed. Yeah, and, like, he's wearing, like, like a sweater and a tie. Oh, yeah, they know, do like They do have a point. Ted Raimi has a point you know? of, like, he chides him, like, oh, you're always wearing a tie, man. Why are you dressing up so much? You know, this is the 80s. <laughs> are you just suggesting that there should be like, yeah, just I know what a line of coke is. on his tie? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no that's what he says in the movie he goes oh, you know this okay. is the 80s man and he's like and I, he, he always gives me a hard time in his voiceover like, he always gives me a hard time like i know what decade it is and i'm like okay get in the car let's let's progress yeah. this <laughs> we're wasting enough time we haven't even gotten to our dr alien yet anyways so then dr alien walks in because uh dr ackerman is in a coma after his car flip so we get troy donahue for about 60 seconds basically in the movie he's second build i think <laughs> but miss zenobia is dr alien's name i will call yeah. her dr alien though because that's just more fun but she's you know she's a beautiful woman with big blonde 80s hair and she's starts the lesson on human sexuality or whatever and then yeah. she asks ted Raimi to describe his penis or something like that she hasn't like do something embarrassing and then we kind of skip ahead to the end of class and she mentions that she needs someone to volunteer to help her after class i don't know if they say it's going to be a recurring thing but at least for today and every man in class raises his hand except for wesley and (laughs) wesley doesn't raise his hand until she mentions that of course whoever does this would get extra credit and because he's struggling in this class he's like oh sure and so she selects wesley afterwards wesley is talking with ted Raimi, who you know i think i'm going to give his actual name what is it it's uh marvin so Wesley, yeah. <laughs> Wesley's talking with Marvin. He really does look like Ted Raimi, though. But anyways, yeah, he does, yeah. he's talking with him, and Marvin is, this is when we get the narration line saying he's like a perv or whatever, but like Marvin's talking about like, yo, man, you hitting that kind of thing? It's, I mean, it's stuff like that. It's not exactly that, but that's the gist. Wesley's genuinely not interested in Miss Zenobia. He's like, nah, I've only got eyes for Leanne. I don't care about this 
Dr. Alien Woman. (laughs) (laughs) So he goes to volunteer to help her, and it's her and it's this other guy who looks kind of like a shrunken meatloaf, like the musician. Because Meatloaf's like, like a tall guy. Like, this guy's kind of like Meatloaf, but like 5'6". You're such an idiot. I never thought of <laughs> I never thought of him looking like that. You're right. Uh, At first I was like, what, like the, like the food? And you're like, the musician. I was like, oh my god, you're right, he does. Yeah, I mean, he, he he's whoever the guy is, he's in Halloween 4 in like one scene. I, I recognize him from that. I like him a lot in this movie, by the way. Oh yeah, he's kind of funny. But anyways, Miss Zenobia and Dr. Meatloaf are telling him... <laughs> That they have, like, some injection thing to give him, and it will make him happier and healthier, and they want to, like, monitor his results. And he's like, I'm already fine. You don't need to do anything to me. I'm not an athlete. Why are you doing this? And then they're like, ah, just, oh, don't worry. And so he declines, but then they inject him from behind with, you know, cartoon sound effect, of course. Mm -hmm. And then he grows, like, an antenna on his head, except it's an antenna that, like, moves around and, like, kind of has a mouth. Yeah, and squeals. It's, yeah, it makes noises, and it's, yeah, it's it's something. <laughs> it makes noises. It's like a worm with a gaping mouth, and, you know, you're not entirely sure what it is, but you know it reminds you of, of a penis somehow. Oh, so, I wasn't thinking that. In this movie? No, I mean, it looks just like my penis. <laughs> in this movie? No, there's nothing sexual in this movie. So anyways, Miss Zenobia then seduces him while he's got this antenna thing going, right? Mm-hmm. Meatloaf is taking notes. Meatloaf's name is Drax. I'll just refer to him as Drax from now on, I suppose, because the Meatloaf gets Wait, tough, the guy from if I'm the guy from the hit Guardians of the Galaxy movie by Marvel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Where did they rip it off from? <laughs> Anyways, Dra- Drax the Destroyer <laughs> is taking notes and watching as Zenobia and Wesley have sex, and we don't really see this. It's it's like kind of presented in shadow. Yeah. I could be mistaken. I do not think we see Miss Zenobia's actress Judy Lander's nude at all in this movie we see almost everyone else yeah. nude we do not see her i don't believe we eventually see her in an embarrassing alien costume and that's almost worse <laughs> but whatever <laughs> so anyways wesley is at home and he's dreaming of three beautiful women toplessly dancing and eventually seducing him while drax and miss zenobia watch and take notes and these women are, I mean, we, I don't know if you recognize her, but the woman on the right here is Linnea Quigley from oh. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, she of antler death. Yeah. <laughs> but she, she worked with David Dakota quite frequently in the early days. She's in Creepazoids. She's in Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bolarama, of course. It's one of her best roles. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they have sex with her and then he wakes up and is like, okay, that was a dream. What was that? But then the next day in the morning, he starts acting a lot more cool. He's not wearing his tie anymore. He's being all smooth. He's not eating breakfast, which I don't know how that makes him cool. But <laughs> he um, he drives by he drives by Leanne as she's as she's walking to school, and he offers to drive her. She doesn't know who he is, but he's he explains like, "No, nah, I go to school with you." Like, well, by the way, you know, he leaves the house. What? And he's like, it's my turn to take the car. And he hops into the family station wagon and peels out in the station wagon. Oh, yeah, it's wagon. a station wagon, which is great. <laughs> it's like the least badass car, but he's, he's acting so cool. Well, anyways, he's driving Leanne uh, to school. And he's talking to her, and he finds that she's interested in music, possibly majoring in it. I think she's majoring in it at the moment, but her parents don't want yeah. her to. So maybe she'll switch majors. And he recalls that, like, oh, I, you know, I like music, but I'm studying economics because my father wants me to or whatever. 
he stops at a red light and notices that that bully guy and his girlfriend are next to him as they start revving their engines and leanne's like you're not gonna race him are you but he does race him in his station wagon (laughs) and this scene's a lot of fun i mean this is this is this is some great stuff it's uh I mean, you've got classic crashing into garbage cans, which is like the cheapest way to have like an exciting crash thing in in your action movie. (laughs) And then eventually they they crash into a fruit stand. And of course, the station wagon, Wesley is kind of causing all this. And so the other guy's like the bully guy. I don't even write down his name. He's just bully and he gets angry. And Leanne is pissed off. They stop at one point to pick up Marvin, and Marvin is, like, recounting, and like, whoa, this isn't you normally. Why, why are you doing this? But he's, like, also, like, into it, whereas Leanne really isn't. Mm-hmm. They eventually get to school, and Leanne <laughs> takes off, like, he's just saying, like, I never want to see you again. What the hell is wrong <laughs> with you? And then the bully shows up shortly after that, but so does a cop who's going to... He's not pulled him over because he's already parked, so I don't know. He's going to get him a ticket or something, but anyways... Leanne wanders into like a music hall while Wesley is playing the piano. He's playing beautifully, and he's very, also very clearly the actor, very clearly not playing, but that's fine. <laughs> and she's like, wow, you're really good at that. And he's like, oh, hey, I wanted to apologize. That wasn't me. I, I don't know why I did that. I was acting stupid, so I'm really sorry. And he mentions that he took piano lessons like when he was nine, but hasn't since because she's like, wow, you're really good. You must practice all the time. And he's like, nah. Uh, and then and then he does ask her out and she agrees to go out with him yeah which even after you know he basically took her hostage a few hours ago (laughs) so i don't know about that got some questionable character motivations here all right so he goes on his date which i thought was going to be to a drive-in movie theater because they're like parked outside and all these other cars are there but no i think it's just like a make-out point kind of thing and the joke is that there's like 45 cars there (laughs) yeah but anyways drax and zenobia also follow them and they're observing him on his date and while they watch him and his antenna shows up and as as his antenna is up this is when leanne finds him irresistible and starts like taking off her clothes and jumping on him and it's also clear at this point that like zenobia is getting sexual pleasure vicariously through him or perhaps through the antenna we don't really know yeah something going on here this is i guess this is the second scene where you see the antenna and i had originally thought that the antenna just meant that wesley was turned on but i guess it you realize from this it's, scene, it's i really it's it's zenobia's turned on yeah yeah and then but then from this scene you realize that it actually acts more like some pheromones yes. or something or an aphrodisiac yeah it, it makes him irresistible to all women yeah. basically so leanne's on top of him and then somehow the antenna gets deactivated or whatever and then she thinks she not remembering what had happened in the last minute thinks that he was taking advantage of her and she's like you sick bastard and she leaves yeah. And then he goes to like the, this is another reason why you'd think this is like a drive-in movie theater. He goes goes up to like the snack bar. His three dream women, i.e. Linnea Quigley and, oh, Ginger Lynn was another one. She's in the first two Vice Academy movies with Linnea Quigley, oh, okay. which I mentioned. <laughs> All six Vice Academies coming soon <laughs> on our list. I've made it through them. Now you have to too. <laughs> yeah. So they, they show up and they're like, again, kind of all over him but that doesn't really go anywhere at the moment and we have no idea who these women no, are it's they like just they just up. showed up in his dream yeah. like did he conjure them we don't we don't really know we learn who they are later they're members of a band 
What's the band called? I can't. I don't think Isn't I wrote like down the, the name. Is it like the Tampoons or something like that, or the? It's the. T- I think it's the Tangpoons. The tang it's, it's something along yeah. those lines, like that. Well, and also before we leave this scene at the at the makeout point driving thing, which the only thing to look at is a lake. There's a great like. There's some great comedic stuff in the car between Drax and Doctor Alien. Oh yeah. Drax realizes that everybody in the cars around them are making out, and he kind of like mm-hmm. puts his arm around Doctor Alien, and she just pours his drink or her drink on his crotch. Then. <laughs> When Wesley sprouts the antenna, Drax is like, are you able to handle it? Yeah. And she goes, yes, you know, but I would be going over there if you didn't weld my seatbelt shut. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a funny line. Yeah. Hey, but, and by the way, she's got these awesome, awesome 80s sunglasses on throughout all this stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, you first see them in the, um, in the dream. In that dream sequence. And, and it, that dr- entire dream sequence, it looks like we're trying to do like some kind of like Devo music video or something. There's something very <laughs> odd about yeah. that scene. They're, they're doing something. I don't know if they're poking fun at something specifically with like, I don't know. It has like kind of a new wave parody look to it, but whatever. It could just be the movie's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. So then he has another dream. It's with these three women again. And then Leanne is there and she pulls a chainsaw on him. And then he wakes up terrified. He goes to talk to Dr. Zenobia, a.k.a. Dr. Alien, about the experiment. And he says, like, I don't know what's been going on, but I've been feeling really weird lately. Like, can we just stop whatever we've done? And she's like, sure. But then they hit him with another <laughs> another surprise dosage. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> these people weren't aliens. They'd get their asses sued off, you know? yeah lucky for them so wesley decides to talk to the only person he feels he can talk to about this that is marvin aka ted ramey it's not actually ted ramey aka a major pervert which we've seen (laughs) (laughs) Um, and he talks to him he's like listen i i don't know what's going on all these women want me but i only want leanne at first he's not like receptive one he doesn't really believe him but also two he's like that's not even a problem why are you complaining about that you know Wesley runs into the bully's girlfriend, who's incredibly attractive, by the way. She's like this brunette. And they sneak into like a janitor's closet or something and have sex. Marvin walks by and overhears them and then is at the door when she leaves. And then after her comes Wesley. And then so he's like, okay, I finally get it. But then because the antenna has gone away, the the woman he's just had sex with comes back with her boyfriend and says, look what he did to me. Yeah, yeah. So even though even though she initiated it, it's because she was under the spell of the antenna. Uh, she after it's done, is like, what the hell? Which yeah. I, this seems pretty funny. So this is the fight scene, the aforementioned fight scene. And it's great. So they start fighting and this, you know, the bully's obviously big and muscular and Wesley's kind of a bit of a wimp, but he fights him and he's kicking his ass. And at one point he does this like matrix karate kick thing. <laughs> you know, they had limitations and then you see those limitations a hundred percent how with how they shoot this. Because he does this like jump thing <laughs> in like extreme close up, and then we get the shot of his foot connecting with the bully, and it's just a foot. It's like being held on <laughs> yeah. I'm like a, probably like a tree branch or something. Dude, my, as favorite, some. my favorite part is great that, about that close up of that like quote unquote slow mo shot of him kicking the bully in the face is that in the background you can see the leaves of the trees rustling at like normal speed. 
<laughs> and you can see like the foot pressing up against the face. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm not even a hundred percent sure it was supposed to be like a genuine slow motion because it's obviously not shot in the slow motion. Yeah, yeah. I think the joke there was that like he does he winds up for this like big kick and he hits him just barely, but it's oh. still enough to like knock him out. I oh. I think that's the joke. I'm not certain because well, a know, lot of things are lost in translation in terrible schlock movies like this. So you could be right. Well, you know it wasn't lost in translation. We actually have uh, something that links this movie to James Bond. It's that Wesley performs the Sean Connery stuntman patented shoulder flip in this scene to the bullet. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> I thought, you know, we've, we've got a movie with a guy that sleeps with more women than James Bond. Oh my so just God. just think about that for a second. <laughs> Little John. Although, Wesley, although he doesn't do it, he doesn't do it voluntarily. <laughs> which yeah. is possibly, again, I feel like there's genuine room to use queer theory on david dakota films and i i don't claim to be an expert on that kind of thing but i feel like you can read into that a little bit yeah yeah i mean knowing what but at we the do same now, time he's he's all in on leanne so it's not like he's actually gay but there's perhaps a gay subtext at least with his continued rejecting of sex even when women are just throwing themselves at him yeah you know but anyways, back to say, maybe we should do like a spotlight on that one time on just like all of his movies and talk about how they're all about like rejecting well sex. i mean they're not all like like sorority babes in the slime ball bolorama is like one of those this this is a big thing with like david dakota and kind of charles band to a certain extent it's like they're horror movies in quotes they're really just bad comedies that have monsters in them <laughs> and you know they're like like the cosby got show more boobs than scares oh no <laughs> You monster. <laughs> How was that? And it's a great comedy show. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, you're right. It's pretty good. <laughs> Anyways, Wesley is able to land another date with Leanne somehow. She keeps coming back to him, uh, even though even though he does nothing but disappoint her at this yeah. point. <laughs> we get this little scene of gym class. And for B-movie fans, you will probably immediately recognize one of the people at this gym class, which is essentially killer workout. Like, they're doing this, like, aerobicized kind of thing. But uh, one one of the students is Michelle Bauer, who was one of the three big scream queens of the 80s, along with Linnea Quigley. And the only one missing in this movie is Brink Stevens, but I'm sure we'll do plenty of movies with her in them. But So after gym class wraps up, all the girls go to the locker room and marvin looks on which i thought he had more of a system than he has really he just looks through the window yeah he just like hops on top of some boxes and he's like oh I'm yeah when, when he mentioned that earlier i thought he was like going to like hide in a locker and watch them or something yeah. but anyways so a girl pulls wesley in and immediately takes off her clothes and then michelle bauer comes in takes off her clothes and then eventually all of the women or all of the female students pull him into the shower and, you know they drag him while he's like screaming yeah, i really like that shot because those two women grab him by oh yeah that's a funny shot drag him yeah the bench as he's screaming <laughs> he's just... and he's got this antenna sticking up yeah it's great i like it <laughs> And so while they're swarming him, he is able to crawl away. And it's there's a shot where, like, the women are still, like, going nuts where he used to be. But he just kind of crawls away. <laughs> like, that's kind of a comical shot. And then the gym teacher shows up. And she sees him. And she takes off her clothes. So it's like, okay, there's no, there's no escape for him. <laughs> and, of course, the gym teacher is a stacked blonde. Of course. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's just how things are. Yeah, that's just how it goes. Like this. So then kind of out of nowhere... And when I say kind of out of nowhere, I mean incredibly out of nowhere. Wesley mentions that, like, you know, I want to play some music or something, like, because I think because Leanne likes music. Yeah. And then Marvin's like, hang on, I know a band that just lost their lead singer and they need someone new. 
so let me get you in touch with them. (laughs) But we don't meet the band until they show up at Wesley's house for dinner. This seems strange, but it's also kind of fun. Yeah. We get the bassist comes in, and the bassist is kind of your, like, long-haired, like, hair metal-looking kind of dude. You got your drummer. You got your uh, lead guitarist named Sting. Or is it Sting? Yeah. Or Slash? It's something like that. I, I it's it's the name of a of an actual rock star somewhere. Yeah. It's one of those two. Maybe it's Bono. But <laughs> one of the it's it's a one one no, one no, word. No. Name of an actual like rock that. star, Patrick. Jeez, oh God. come on. Bono Bono had a good run. <laughs> yeah, I like Bono. Bono <laughs> The man is mentally ill. <laughs> oh. oh Bono. So so they all have dinner, and the parents are, like, trying to be, like, polite, but really they've just got these, like, weird-ass rock and rollers in their yeah, place, and they horrified. ask them, like, what kind of, yeah, what kind of music they like, and this is uh, Sting talking, or Bono, or whatever. And he's got a British accent, of course, and he's like, well, you know, we've sort of got, like, the, we play, we don't like to label our music, of course, but we sort of like the rock and roll and influenced by the punk rock and the new wave and the uh, little bit of death thrown in there. And it's like all this stuff. And and the parents are like, what the hell? They're like looking horrified. And so, so I guess I don't believe it's ever established, but the date that he has with Leanne is going to be at this club. I don't remember the name of the club, but it's like a CD rock and roll club where they're using metal detectors on everyone who enters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and basically every character in the movie at this point is at this concert. We've got the parents show up, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny to see them. We've got the bully and his girlfriend. They're at the table next to the parents. We've got Leanne, who's standing not in the pit. She's kind of back behind them. And then Marvin, for whatever reason, is the one that introduces the band on stage. And they're, of course, the sex mutants. <laughs> Which, you know, it's a fun name, a good yeah. name for a band, for like, of this kind for of music. A punk band? And they, yeah. I think they're, they're more metal to me than punk, but the name sounds like a punk name. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to Sting's description of the band, and I don't think it's that far off. I think this is kind of a bit of a mix of punk and metal. It's what we call pedal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree. <laughs> yeah, so they perform the song Killer Machine, and this is. This is the scene of the movie. This is the just the coup de gras. I mean, this is fantastic stuff. He's got no antenna, but he's this <laughs> he's, this dude is he's acting his he's heart ripping out his on leather jacket stage. off. You know, he's got he's got oh yeah he's shirtless. On. He's he's yeah he's really. I mean, you could you get the sense that this actor is just enjoying the hell out of the scene. Oh yeah, can you blame him? I mean, this is <laughs> you always appreciate in movies when you just you just take a break from the plot and have a full three or four minute music video play in the middle of your movie. This is just a beautiful example of that. It's great too, because we get like reaction shots from the crowd. And I especially like the one with the bully and his girlfriend where the girlfriend's like really into it. And the bully is like at first kind of angry at her. Yeah. But then like when the song ends, he's, he's like, he doesn't want to clap, but he's, but he is like, he recognizes (laughs) the greatness that he's, he recognizes that he's just witnessed cinema history. And it starts out like Leanne's in the back and she smiles when she sees the sex mutants play. And then like really early into the song, she's like all of a sudden really into it. So she moves towards the front, get the parents are digging it from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And so when the song's done, Leanne goes backstage to go find Wesley. And Wesley's hanging out with, again, the Tang Poons, I think they're called, the female rock group slash the Dream Girls slash Linnea Quigley and Company. 
they're just kind of hanging out and she, of course she gets angry at him because like well, i thought we were going on a date and you're here with these bimbos and he's like no wait it's not what it looks like and she leaves and he follows her and she, he runs into miss zenobia slash dr alien here in the alleyway in an awesome awesome suit <laughs> an awesome space yeah she's suit. got like a sci-fi like yeah like a bright shiny like a silver kind of looking yeah body hugging space very yeah yeah very test tube teens from the year 3000 to name another D- david dakota yeah. sci-fi film i well don't you you don't know what i'm talking I'm about cool. don't i'll just agree, agree with, with you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah anyways she admits her plan or some of it she's like hey you need to come back with us we've been giving you this device or this um we've been giving you this serum to make you more potent fertile whatever yeah make you more sexually aggressive no he's not aggressive <laughs> i no, don't know it's we've like, been it, it's to make... we want you to have sex more yeah <laughs> and the yeah. reason is because from her planet the men of her planet are all impotent <laughs> and we learn later this includes drax aka meatloaf <laughs> and so she's like we want to bring you back you'll basically be a sex slave but we need to repopulate our planet we're dying and he's just kind of like what no uh, like you're full of shit and then she rips off her face and this is it's great the makeup when it's just her ripping at her face looks genuinely great it actually looks terrifying too and you're looking like at when it, it's like, when oh. it's her face being stretched out yeah. it looks pretty cool <laughs> yeah and then when she pulls off her face and it's and it's revealed that her alien head is about five times the size of her real head and she's got these puffy eyes and and it's blue and you know that Maybe doesn't look as good. You know what? Maybe just a little bit. Because I had literally no expectations going into this, I thought that also looked great. And I was surprised when her mouth moved <laughs> and it was actually blood yes, coming out of her mouth, thing. you know, and when her it's eyes a, would blink it's a, too. The design or, or whatever, the execution in just like the mask itself is terrible. It looks funny. But at the same time, the eyes and the mouth work really, really well. They totally sell it. So it's a mix of terrible and great with this alien costume. So I am here for it. For a movie like this, if you're, if you've got something that's not completely terrible you're doing pretty well yeah so she chases him as he goes back to the school because he's going to try and steal the last batch of the serum and while he does so he concocts some kind of explosion potion thing for drax which explodes and drax is covered in like soot and yeah and then and then so he escapes and then drax talks with dr alien and there's another she goes and gets her gun what is it? I don't where, remember. <laughs> where she goes, can you get my, like, photon cannon or something? And he goes, "Oh yeah, is that the little one or the big one? And then she just kind of, like, looks at him. She doesn't like, say anything. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I'll get the big one. <laughs> then it yeah. cuts back to Wesley. And then so Wesley gets back to the club, and then so does Dr. Alien. Dr. Alien, again, still in the blue alien head, shows up <laughs> while the Linnea Quigley band is performing. And Linnea Quigley, of course, it should be noted, was genuinely a musician. She was, I think, in a, like a couple of punk bands back in the day, 70s and 80s. So she knows what she's doing up there. Also, the name of that band, when I first saw it, because I wasn't paying too much attention when I first saw the name, I thought it was the Tampons. And I was like, wow, that's a pretty great it kinda name looks for like a punk that. band. But then, yeah, it was like the Tang Poons or whatever. Yeah, I think it's the Tang Poons, which is probably both a play on Tampon and Poontang, I assume. Oh, yeah. Either way, great name. 
Yeah, it's you know, it's no sex mutants, but it works. <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> Doctor Alien shows up, and this is her the movie's off the rails at this point. Where she's just shooting around, and shit's exploding, and stuff's <laughs> breaking and crashing, and everyone's like trying to hide, and some people get shot and killed. And there is, I'm embarrassed to note this, but there's one scene. It's one shot. There's a waitress like holding a tray with like drinks yeah. that sees something and screams and. I recognize that actress. I'm embarrassed to say it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that is Elizabeth Caton. I assume it's Caton. I, I want to say it's Caton, but I think it's Caton of Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, and Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, and Vice Academy 3 through 6, or maybe oh 4 through 6. Oh my god, you should be embarrassed. So- <laughs> no, I. she's like one of the all-time B-movie crushes for me. She's an awful actress, but she's just like, incredibly attractive so i like her but no the the embarrassing part is that it's one shot and she's not credited i had to i I was like certain of it but i did double check she is an imdb but she's like way down there it says her name and then uncredited but anyways she's in there the shot that she's in is also kind of weird because again as you point out she's just a waitress and (laughs) she sees dr alien shoot and stuff and she goes ah she throws the drinks off the tray and runs away meanwhile people are like getting shot off of balconies and stuff like that and land oh yeah we see like it's basically the same shot someone falls the exact same way twice (laughs) off the top balcony i think it was a different like person or a different dummy but it's basically the same shot it might well be a recycled shot but anyways, so Dr. Alien stops shooting as Wesley holds up the serum behind the bar. And he's like, if you shoot me, this will, you know, if you shoot any more people, I'll break this and your race will be doomed. And then this scene goes on for a while, but they're talking. Eventually, it's made clear that it's made clear to other people that that serum exists to make men irresistible to women. And mm. when this is mentioned, the rest of the band and Marvin all fight for it and <laughs> they end up breaking it. Yeah. And so she's like, oh, no, you've, you guys have just doomed our alien species. But then Drax sprouts an antenna because, <laughs> because Meatloaf been getting his. Meatloaf's been sneaking that serum every now and then. And so she's like, oh, great. That means we might be able to repopulate things. And there's this, like, emotional thing where this is like, this might have even come earlier, but Wesley is saying, like, no, you guys tried to make me someone who I wasn't and she's like no all the serum did like it didn't change your personality you were always this way it just gave you the strength and the confidence to act the way you've always wanted to act yeah and this kind of works for me in a weird way and I don't mean like okay he he always wanted to escape from women's locker rooms as women are trying to seduce him kind of thing <laughs> I, I mean more like he says something like oh I had piano lessons when I was nine but my dad stopped me from doing it then it's like, no, maybe you always like music and you should go back to doing it. And that's what he decides to do. And then he has a little heart to heart with his dad where his dad's like, I had you stop taking piano lessons because I was a musician and I felt pain and heartbreak because I didn't achieve my goal and I didn't want to see you doing the same thing. And it's like, oh, this is kind of working Mm -hmm. emotionally. This is a somewhat heartfelt ending. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in this goofy sex comedy. (laughs) <laughs> this goofy alien sex comedy <laughs> and, and, quickly and one shot of elizabeth caton this is kind of paying off emotionally in a way and all of that comes when a woman is wearing a giant blue alien head and holding like a laser blaster and a star trek joke has just been made oh yeah and... yeah because they because he accuses them of violating the prime directive <laughs> yeah and they don't know what he's talking about and then they're he's like, like you oh, know star trek on, you seen star trek yeah. and what does drax say he's like well i like the first two seasons of the original series 
but after that, I kind of stopped watching. Yeah, <laughs> which is fair. The third season of the original series is not very good. I will agree. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what we've what what we've got with this movie. I mean, the relationship with his parents is mended, which, to be fair, we didn't see too much of that. You know, being bad, mm-hmm. but it looks like things are good with his parents, nonetheless. He gets together with Leanne. And then we have like a little postscript on what the characters are doing now and which is like this shows up in a lot of like I don't well, I mean it shows up in like based on true story movies, but it also like I know Animal House does this where they say that Niedermeyer was shot in Vietnam by his own troops. It's like things like that. <laughs> yeah. And I can't remember what he says about everybody, but I know Marvin isn't Marvin like directing porn or something. No, he, he's, he's doing something he sleazy. He with the with the Tang Poons. Okay. He became their manager and then yeah. the bully and girlfriend they broke up and the girlfriend went to Vegas as like a hooker or something. Okay, yeah, cuz you know, we need that. Yeah. And, and then his his younger brother who's barely in the movie but is actually hilarious when he shows up, had moved to Hollywood to make horror movies. So yeah. I think he's the director insert here. I think that's yes. essentially David Dakota. Zenobia and Drax uh, went to Vegas and then had 24 little alien kids. That's right, yes. And then his parents, his dad quit the, whatever the hell he was doing, like accounting or whatever. Accounting firm. He has an yeah. accounting firm, yeah. And he's now running like a health foods store or something. And you see them kind of looking like hippies. Oh, yeah, they're dressed as hippies. Mom, that know? joke didn't really land for me. No, I was like, I don't really know why. I knew what they were, alien. I knew what they were going. Well, this is the late 80s. Health food is like scary to us. Oh. Health food sounds like something from, from the 60s, from like hippies. It's not like now we're like... Sure, health food, like normal people Granola. can eat that, you know? <laughs> like like back then being vegan was like it sounded like insanity, you know, when now <laughs> it's pretty widely accepted. You know, that's kinda yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the eighties. We've advanced a bit. When Coke was cool but being a vegan wasn't. Yeah, I I like the ending of it. It's great. Yeah, this is uh this is how the movie ends and uh Jim, what did you think of Doctor Alien? I wholeheartedly enjoyed it. I, again, as I've said several times, I went in with literally no expectations and I came out with a brighter day than when I sat down to watch it because I thought I was going to be subjected. You come out with a better understanding of life. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I mean, you know, my courage is in me. I just need to have sex with lots of people first and then discover that I'm actually a really cool person. No, you didn't uh, need to it, see the sex is is irrelevant to the lesson that he learned. I mean, there happened to be sex, but the lesson was just about he can act however he wants to. And he yeah. doesn't have to act pathetic because he thinks he's pathetic. If he doesn't feel he is pathetic, he can he can do flying slow motion karate kicks if he wants to. Yeah, he exactly. can lead sing for the sex mutants if he wants to. Every- I mean he all Kills it have, on stage. All of us have cool dudes in us and cool dudettes in us. We just need to, you know, let them free. Yeah, I sat down. I thought this was going to be a huge hunk of shit, just like Screwballs was, and I left really happy. No, actually. this is this is a masterpiece compared to Screwballs. I, I do think this is a genuinely... Is it a good movie? No. But it's a genuinely entertaining schlock movie. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah for sure. It's weird, and it's... For it being a comedy, it's not. It doesn't have nearly as many laughs as you want from like a good comedy. But at the same time, structurally, the story works fairly well. The characters are kind of fun. You mentioned yep. you like Drax. I do too. Yeah. Marvin, I kind of like, even though he's a major perv. Like he's kind of funny. He's fun as like that best friend character who like is clearly a negative influence on on the main character. But you know, there isn't a Leanne is pretty underdeveloped. There isn't a single character I don't like in this movie. Like, I think everybody's pretty solid character-wise. 
you're right about Leanne being underdeveloped, uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't really detract from the story because the story is just so heavily focused on Wesley. But the weird thing to me about this is that it, like, it almost feels like a movie that the Family Channel could play, like, or like a Disney Channel could play, if you just got rid of all the sex stuff. You know what I mean? Like, right. No, that's what I mean. This is one part family comedy, one part sex comedy. Those two yeah. things don't blend together, but somehow in this, they make it pretty interesting Mm -hmm. no i i agree with that entirely yeah i mean there were so many things about this i liked i liked a lot of the jokes for me a lot of the jokes hit pretty well i liked pretty much all the stuff with drax and dr alien even the opening scene where dr ackerman crashes his car that kind of sets the tone for the movie in my head like when i had messaged to me the tone was set with the troy donahue in and he looks up at the (laughs) camera right when it says that to me that that like told me right away okay self-aware goofy comedy and yeah. I didn't know it was a sex comedy for 15 minutes in until 15 minutes after that. But When I had messaged you last week about it, I had no clue what I was watching after the first two minutes. Because then it jumped straight into that Wesley and like uh, of him like dubbing over or h- him narrating his life, I guess. And I was like, what the hell is this thing? But like 10 minutes past that, I was like, oh, dude, this is great. Like I had no clue what this was going to be and I just loved it. I think Honestly, we probably, probably could have gotten rid of the narration. I don't feel like that adds anything to the story, no, I, really. It, I thought it was really kind of goofy. I don't necessarily hate it, but I, I don't need it to be in there. All right, a little little bit of trivia for you Dr. Alien fans out there. <laughs> All five of you. Well, actually, this is for you, Jim, because Dr. Alien fans would know this, but... <laughs> the main character is played by Billy Jacoby, mm-hmm. a.k.a. William Jane, and his younger brother is played by Bobby Jane. So they are real life brothers. They are both like actors. They've done other stuff. I couldn't tell you what they've done, but they're not like complete nobodies. Believe it or not, I looked up who the main actor was and I saw that those two were brothers. I was like, oh, that's weird. That's kind of neat. Anyways, as for Dr. Alien trivia, that's kind of all I got. <laughs> I, I didn't look too much into Dr. this movie. Alien trivia is one fact that I knew. No, hang on, hang on. I, I did. I wrote down. I, I, I looked it up, but I did not write down. I did find out which college this was filmed at. Okay. Or, or I narrowed it down to one of two colleges. Oh, my gosh. But I, but I didn't write it down, and I'm not going to go through that again. <laughs> If you're really curious, you can IMDb this movie and see the three or four cities in California this was shot at and look at those on Wikipedia to see if they have a college there and then go through those pictures of those college campuses and you'll find one of two likely candidates. So to reiterate, yeah, I was expecting like I was expecting like community college and it looks like I think one of the two locations was like a community college, but the other one was just like a small private college. And it's like, okay, it could have been either of those. I didn't really know. I just want to say, Patrick, I'm going to I'm going to reiterate those facts for you. Fact number one, the two brothers in the movie are brothers in real life. Fact number two, look up the other facts yourself. That's (laughs) well, hang on, hang on. I can make up some more stuff. Okay, yeah. Let's let's hear it. No, this this movie was released to cinemas in 3D. No, it wasn't, and was it? It made 45 million at the box office its opening weekend. Uh it actually kicked out Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade Get the from the fuck number out one spot. Go fuck and yourself. then it was replaced by Batman the following weekend. So it had a very short reign at number one. I, I believe... Wait, no, that's not true. No, Get, why are you believing any of this? I, <laughs> I even said I would make up some more facts. Oh, I, I even said you, that. I thought you said I was going to find some more facts. Stop tricking no, me. No, I said make up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I, uh, I I don't have a budget for this movie. I'm it's it's well under a million. I guarantee that because <laughs> David Dakota shoots movies fast and cheap. 
I was thinking about this a lot when I was watching this movie. How many days do you think this movie was shot? Oh, man. I feel like it was shot in like a week. I, I think a week is the liberal estimate. I, I'm, I want to <laughs> pin it at like four or five days. But I, and I'm trying to think like, oh, okay, classroom scenes, that's all a day. The house scenes are all in a day, and I'm going to say the green room scenes backstage with the Tang Poons, that's a day too, because that's probably a bedroom that's just dressed up to look like a green room. That's the same day as house interiors. The most complicated stuff is probably at the club with the stage when they're doing the music video or when things are exploding. That's probably the most complicated stuff, but I still feel like they pumped that out in a day by itself. Usually with kind of like crappy B-movies, you have like a lot of really crappy actors. If you think of something like Killer Workout, I know we keep on going back to Killer Workout, or even the uh, Picasso Trigger, you have like a lot of really crappy acting. But in this movie, I didn't feel like there was a lot of crappy acting or any really like terribly standout-ish bad acting. You know no. what I mean? If there If there's a weak person in the cast, I would say it's maybe the bully, but that's also kind of the character that he's playing. Yeah. Like he's not asked to give a three-dimensional performance he's just asshole guy if everybody was a pretty decent actor and it took one or two takes maybe three max then yeah you could pump this thing out like it was oh yeah i think i think three takes is 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 a lot for dakota i I don't know (laughs) if you would do that and and i'm not even like i'm I'm, sounds like i'm joking i'm not like this is david dakota's style of filmmaking i he did not have a lot of money he was trying to make movies like this as fast as possible in what i'm sure again was shot probably a week or less like they did a pretty good job it's cohesive it's coherent it's got a few laughs here and there and it's got antenna penis i mean that's kind of all you that's the formula right i thought you're gonna say something else but yeah it makes sense you know it there's a there's a logical flow to it for the most part i would say the only part that kind of stands out from the rest is the whole band part that just comes in from left field so jim which of these two movies from Russia with Love or Dr. Alien, do you prefer? Okay, this is going to be kind of like a last week thing. I prefer From Russia with Love, and I think From Russia with Why Love... Why don't you let me go first so you don't okay. embarrass yourself? Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm helping you. <laughs> okay, fine, go. So, Jim, as much as I've hyped up Dr. Alien, and I do like it, I find it incredibly enjoy- enjoyable for what it is. What it is, it's not a piece of art. I mean, in a weird way, it kind of is, because I think it's like a perfect of this kind of very specific movie thing. That having been said, like From Russia With Love, a very, very well-executed action spy James Bond movie. Mm -hmm. I have to give that props. And I mean, as much as I do enjoy Dr. Alien, I'm going to say I prefer From Russia With Love. I will take like a fun, bad movie over a lot of like movies I just kind of like. But if I like a movie as much as From Russia With Love, I'm going to take that over really any kind of bad movie that I enjoy, I think. So, Jim, what about you? Yeah, like, uh, I agree with your point. I think maybe, I mean, is this the first time you've seen, I mean, I guess it isn't the first time you've seen Dr. Alien, right? No, only the second, though. I look forward to many watches (laughs) in the future. Well, because I agree with you about From Russia With Love, but I think it might be at a disadvantage here because I've seen From Russia With Love about, you know, like 50 okay. million times. So to see something new and to see something that completely surpassed my expectations. And it's one of a kind, too. It's not just that you're seeing something new. It's you may never see another movie like this. Well, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, my point is, while, <laughs> a lot of ways. while I think From Russia With Love is a better movie, I enjoyed, on this viewing, I enjoyed watching Dr. Alien more than From Russia With Love. But right. I do think From Rush With Love is a better movie. And again, it's in like my top five James Bond movies. So, Jim, how does this work as a double feature? 
Oh, man, I hate this question. Um, Then have me start. (laughs) Then have me start if you're going to bitch about it. I'm not bitching about it. I'm not bitching about it. But I always say... Like when, when it, whenever something like James Bond is in this, I always say, or I'm going to be saying probably for a fair amount of times, that it doesn't really work for me as a double feature because James Bond isn't really a drive-in movie, if you catch my drift. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because From Russia With Love isn't really schlocky, but like some campy Roger It doesn't Moore need movies. to be schlocky, though. No, you're right. You're I mean, right. I, th- I think From Russia With Love is a better drive-in movie than Doctor No, just because it's not as slow and it's more entertaining. And it's more, yeah, I agree with that. It's got a better score, even, which, I mean, that doesn't really tie into the drive-in thing, but just in the ways that I enjoy this movie more. If this was like a campy Roger Moore, James Bond, I could see these two movies working a lot better together because there is like there is more comedy in these kind of campier James Bond movies. And I think that would play off really well with Dr. Alien. But because From Russia with Love is, for the most part, pretty serious and you have a couple of those throwaway lines, which are actually kind of awful sleazy yeah and many terrible. of them are bad <laughs> yeah I, I i just don't really feel like they would play off each other that well so i'm gonna say no they don't work as a double feature i'm gonna say they work incredibly well and the, the reasoning here <laughs> i'm looking at this these for a very specific aspect james bond is irresistible to women <laughs> and he likes it yeah wesley little john is irresistible to women and he hates it so it's interesting to see that kind of spectrum of male irresistibleness towards females and we get this dude that you know i'm just gonna have sex with everything that moves and then this other guy who's like everyone that had moves wants to have sex with him but he doesn't (laughs) want it i I like i like that pairing and in that aspect and i also think from rush with love serious movie has some kind of weird moments of like comedy most of which are like really small but it's just kind of like they don't work most of them Dr. Alien has an awful lot of comedy that doesn't work, but enough of it works, and it's goofy, and it's funny, and it's got a lot of nudity, which, for Rush With Love, has a little bit of nudity (laughs) in that one shot that you and I were both surprised by. Yeah. (laughs) But I feel like the movie kind of teased us with that, and then Dr. Alien is, you know, the chips are all in with the nudity, so I really appreciate that as a follow-up to From Rush With Love. So I think they work better than, (laughs) I think they work better than I would have expected. Well, I mean, and you've also got the, again, that uh, that shoulder throw on your side for working together. That's right. <laughs> so let's discuss what we'll be doing next time, Jim. Give it to me, baby. No. <laughs> All right, so next time, I must say, we're, we're following this up with a movie that's possibly more mind-blowing than Dr. Alien, but also much better known than Dr. Alien, even though I told you specifically not to watch this. But <gasps> we are leading off with First Blood. The 1982, the first John Rambo film. I think his name's John. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I've seen that movie before. I, can't, I, can't, I don't remember it too well. And then we're following it up with 1983's Sleepaway Camp. I'm one excited. of the greatest, I would say, one of the greatest drive-in movies ever made. One of the weirdest movies ever made. First Blood, to my knowledge, is not streaming anywhere. Sleepaway Camp is, to my knowledge, still on YouTube. I think it's essentially public domain, or, or if so, no one defends its copyright at any rate. So you'll find it on Tubi, you'll find it on YouTube, you'll probably find it on Prime, no guarantees. It's been on Shutter in the past, I don't know if it is currently, but definitely Tubi, definitely YouTube probably prime and that's next time folks i'm excited uh yeah thanks for joining us this time yeah i got nothing to say well you know you're patrick and i'm I'm jim (laughs) and uh yeah thanks for listening everybody we'll talk to you in the near future i guess 
Bye. Bye.